Hi, I'm Ariana. And I'm Kaylee. And welcome back to the Unproblematic Podcast. This podcast follows us, two 20-something Midwest friends. In this podcast, we talk about life, college, travel, feminism, social justice, relationships, and of course, literature and writing. So come join us on our podcasting journey. In this episode, we will be talking about a book review of a book that it took us over one year to finish, but honestly, it was worth every moment we spent savoring it, and that book, which we bought in America before I left for Korea and we finished over the past year, is called There's No Such Thing as an Easy Job by Kikuko Tsumura, and um, I'm so excited to talk about it because it was a really, really amazing book. But yeah. before we get into that, we're going to talk about our reads and watches. So Ariana, what have you been reading and watching? Okay. Before we get into that, I would just like to make a comment. You said that we bought this like when we were in the U.S. And that's true. We bought it the day that we recorded the Red Flags episode. So is it a red flag that it took us over a year to finish this book? It is a mild red flag, but I would say it is not a complete red flag for us. It is a red flag for the capitalist structure in which we live, because if we had easier jobs, we definitely would have finished this book a lot quicker, but we were both very busy trying to make it in the capitalist overlord system that we live in. So you're right. right. So technically it's a green flag. Perfect. I think it's a green flag. We finished it all together. (laughs) I really thought you were going to finish it before me. And then I was just going to be left in the dust and like, no, (laughs) of course not. I wanted to hear your opinion on it. It was like our together book. And we purchased it together. I, I, we should do that next time. Next time you come back, she's coming back to visit in a couple of weeks. So I'm so excited, but we'll pick up another for, um, I think it'd take us another year to finish the next one. Yes. Another year. (laughs) But it's like literally, we, I sent her a tweet. I sent her a tweet, guys. And it was literally like a tweet said, it literally took me a year to finish a book. And I'm like, this is us. This is us. And the person who tweeted it, I think is a reality TV star. I'm not quite sure. But I was up there cackling when I saw it because I was like, this was literally us trying to finish this book. But anyway. I'm yeah, but to be fair to us, we were also reading other things on the side. It was just like a book that we were reading together. You're so. Right. We're reading other things. You're you're right. That's (laughs) we're not one book a year type gals. It's not us. Like respect to you if that's you, but we're we're several books a year type of gals. (laughs) Yeah, Kaylee got me into reading multiple books at a time because normally I like to read. I used to like to read like one book at a time, but now I'm like, you know, two three books at a time is fine. Um, And especially it helps if it's in different formats too. But anyway, I yeah exactly. Um, what the book that I read. it was called The Annual Migration of Clouds and it was by Premi Muhammad and this was a novella. So this follows a main character and her name is Reed and she gets the chance to leave her hometown but you know she's having a rough time trying to decide if she wants to leave because of the state of the world um, post climate disasters. Um, and there's this disease called CAD that is wreaking havoc on the population. Um, and this book called COVID mild compared to CAD, which in CAD is a parasite. Um, so I, I don't even want to experience anything that occurred in that book. Um, but the book does take place in Alberta, Canada. 
Um, and to me personally, I don't know if you read this book when you were younger, Kaylee, but did you ever read Ember? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, that sounds familiar. Yeah. So like if, if y'all don't know, Ember is basically about um, these people who live underground because like above ground is not suitable for life. So they all live underground. So basically it gave me that sense mm-hmm. because like all their natural resources were basically gone and they were, they didn't have like electricity um, and things like that. But on the bright side, I am, I did finish watching um, Dollface on Hulu and that show, I don't know if I mentioned it before, but it's basically following a group of friends in their third, like who were in their early 30s or just turned 30 like trying to get their lives together and like it's about them like forming like female friendship um and you know sticking together in LA so it's so funny because the main character is like Kat Dennings but also Brenda Song is in it and I love her um Mm, yeah also Shay Mitchell from Pretty Little Liars is another character in there but And you, she's in you. (laughs) Oh, you're right. (laughs) Season Mm -hmm. one, season one. She said Peach. Yep, Peach Salinger. My favorite character of hers. The only character I've ever seen her play. (laughs) I, it was, yeah, I have not seen you season three, but anyway, what are you reading and watching, Kaylee? So uh, the last book I finished was called Human Acts by Han Kong. And it was a birthday gift from one of my friends. That was really nice of her. Um, And it was a really, really good book. Like Han Kong's best known for The Vegetarian, which is a good book, but I can't say it's my favorite. But I really, really liked Human Acts because um, the way it was written was just really beautiful and creative and interesting. And she was also talking about a really important event in Korean history, which is the Gwangju uprising, which happened in like the 1980s. And um, it started with like a group of students who were protesting the military coup that took over the government. And um, it spread to like the whole city. The whole city protested after these students were shot by uh, like government soldiers. So uh, it just talks about like a lot of the a lot of the individuals involved and how a lot of the media was being censored at the time by the government and the families of students who were killed. Um, So it was a really like interesting and enlightening and obviously a very sad book, but something that I really respect and admire the author for is she didn't paint it as like these lives were sacrificed so we can have our democracy. She talked about how like even today a lot of alt-right politicians and leaders in the Korean government like a good litmus test for if politicians are alt-right or more like mainstream is if they acknowledge that the Gwangju uprising was like a very serious blunder on the part of the government that they killed so many civilians for no reason um and a lot of alt-right politicians will deny like that so many people were killed. They will say that like it's a lower number than the media says, even though the media was censored by the time in favor of the government. So and and basically the way that the author ends it is like this is a very sad and tragic event. And if you do not acknowledge the death that happened, then you're continuing to do their souls a disservice. Mm-hmm. So it's an ongoing thing that, you know, that people today still have to reckon with. So it was a really good and interesting book. 
Um, and after I finished that, I started reading A Short History of Nearly Everything by Bill Bryson, which is exactly as it sounds, it's a short history of nearly everything. And it's mainly focusing on earth science and cosmology and then uh, like paleontology. It just goes through a lot of the sciences and like things as big as the cosmos, as small as a quark. And it makes science really accessible and interesting in the narrative structure. And I love Bill Bryson. So um, it's been really entertaining and interesting to read. That's interesting because doesn't he normally write fiction? Uh, no, he writes nonfiction, but it's more like travelogue, like narrative fiction. Oh, okay. Like the last book I read by him was A Walk in the Woods, which is about his trip on the Appalachian Trail. And he went hiking, like, and he only did like a quarter of it, but it's a really long trail. Um, and he also is known for like, his most recent book is called The Body. And it's an in-depth narrative about like the body systems and how they work. And so I want to read that one too, because my friend's reading it and she said it was really good. But he's just like a really interesting, engaging writer. The way he tells stories is very funny. And he's got a very British, like dry sense of humor. So like even when he's talking about something that's like kind of boring, he has a way of making it interesting. So I really like that. Interesting. I might check it out. Um, wow. Because I know like BB has read some of his books I just haven't picked up any off of her shelf but I know that she really likes his writing so for some reason I had just assumed that it was fiction but that makes sense oh yeah that makes it's sense. really funny non-fiction because <laughs> well, this but... is like I've never been like wow when, when it's like non-fiction you think of like memoirs like you can laugh at and stuff but I've never thought of like like a travel diary or something like that that would also be super cool and fun to laugh at I mean that's, that's yeah cool. he just reminds you of like a nerdy history teacher like that's kind of the vibe he gives off but like it's a really good like writing style I think um and then I've been watching Stranger Things I've been re-watching seasons one through three to get to season four because it's been so long since the seasons have come out that I totally forgot like everything that happened so I'm getting a refresher and trying not to get too many spoils on the internet for season four, but almost done with season three, so we can start season four soon. Uh, yeah, I, I've been seeing a lot of spoilers for Stranger Things, but I'm like, it's not really a spoiler for me because I haven't seen any of the any episodes. But like, I know like some of the characters or stuff that happens because people, you know, share. Yeah. That's that's another thing that's weird, like the concept of just like spoiling things like I wonder like how do you how does that make you feel that you like spoiled something and you know that people just like it just came out and you're out here spoiling stuff like I think that people yeah. like, sometimes people put like oh spoiler alert like if you don't want to see this like swipe past and I think that's great but some people will just go right in like hey like blah 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 blah, blah. And it's like what because I'm like you, it, yeah it, it really well, it's literally it. Netflix like Netflix is the one posting all these like spoiler reels and stuff like that and like I'm trying to catch up like stuff so I guess I could just unfollow them for a minute but I keep forgetting and then they'll post stuff about like the main villain in season four so I already know what the villain looks like and what his name is even though I haven't gotten to season four yet but anyway oh no dang <laughs> okay yeah so 
Speaking of spoilers, we're going to try our best not to spoil this book that we are going to be talking about today. We're having this conversation because we want to encourage you to read this book um, Mm -hmm. and savor it. Maybe not as long as we did for a year, but, you know, enjoy it. (laughs) Um, So I'm going to, so the book is broken up into five different parts and it focuses on a protagonist who is unnamed and it's broken up by the jobs so the first job is the surveillance job um the second job is the bus advertisement job the third one is the cracker packet job and then the fourth one is the postering job and then the fifth one is the job in the hut in the forest so by these five chapters you would think that this book is really short but it's not i'm pretty sure this book hold on i have it right here it's 400 pages so this book is 400 pages but it's easy like it's an easy read it's not something like oh my gosh like this is so difficult it's it's it breezes by once you get into it but going back to the jobs like basically the main characters burnt out. So they're working these jobs on contract. So the surveillance job, she's watching someone for a specific reason. Um, and is literally her job is to watch this person through a camera um, for surveillance. Um, and, and the then, person doesn't know she's there. Yeah. That's an important aspect of it. Yes. Um, and I, you know what? I'm not. I'm, and then the second, I'm not trying to spoil anything. So the second <laughs> one is um, the bus advertisement job. So basically, with this job, the main character sees the type of control that like the bus advertisements have on the businesses in the area that she lives in, and that's both positive and negative. Um, and then the cracker packet job is trivia for packets of crackers. Um, and her job is to make, you know, trivia. So um, that one was more of a, a job where she worked with others. Like it was more like group oriented, I thought, or like at least she had mm. more community in my opinion. Um, and then the fourth job mm. is the postering job. So this was competition with like cult-like companies for like advertisement spaces throughout these different neighborhoods. Um, and then the last one, which all of these jobs seem fine, except for the last one I absolutely would have not done at all. <laughs> and it is the easy job in the hut in the forest. So basically her job was to sit in an office in the woods all day by herself and in, in like a lot of woods. Like, it's not like she's on the edge of a forest and there's like a city. It's like, she was like legit in the woods. Um, so do you want me to read this quote now? So like, yeah, yeah, I just wanted to also note really quick that like each chapter has a really serious twist at the end. So we're doing our best to describe it without giving away what that twist is. But it it is like a mystery. But there's like there's twists all through it that lead to this like overarching plot. And it's really, really well written. It is because it's like it's try it's kind of hard to describe this because it's like if I give like the main plot like that's spoiling like that I'm not going to do that to y'all so I I gave a basic gist but when I tell you this is so well written and so captivating it's 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 amazing um 
but I'm going to read a quote from the book. So after having to leave my old job because of burnout syndrome, I was rationally aware that it wasn't a good idea to get too emotionally involved in what I was doing, but it was also difficult to prevent myself from taking satisfaction in it. Truthfully, I was happy when people took pleasure in my work and it made me want to try harder. Mm. Okay. So something I wanted to note about this quote is like, I think it speaks to something very primal in humans that like we really want our work to matter in a community. And so even though she knows that it's a short-term job and she doesn't want to stay there long-term, the fact that people are enjoying what she's producing and liking her work, like it's like she has to feel pleasure in, in that. And like, I think that's a very like, primal like human emotion to feel like oh my work is valuable my work is important to people not like oh I'm making a ton of money for these wealthy people but like like my work is directly helping somebody else with their job so I just I really liked that quote (laughs) it gives it gives us purpose like like it it feel it feels like it gives you purpose or like because like if you're working something and you like you do like you think about it like this you work all day long and just imagine working and thinking that like your job has no impact on anything I feel like that can be mentally draining you're like I just wasted Mm -hmm. my whole day and it didn't contribute to anything whether it be your hobbies something you're passionate about something that like is a positive change or anything like imagine just like just not doing just doing something and it's not like making an impact in all like whether it's making you happy or you know helping someone else or something like that I feel like that can yeah be on your mental stability yeah definitely which I think leads us to this discussion about labor and a definition I found for labor um from the balance article, which is definitely more of an economic perspective, but the definition was labor is the amount of physical, mental, and social effort used to produce goods and services in an economy. So this defines labor um, in terms of the goods and consumption that it produces, and the other factors of production that drive supply would be land, capital, and entrepreneurship. So this is viewing labor in terms of the amount of value that it creates for the economy and something that a lot of Marxist critique um, comments on is that labor is not the amount of work expended. So the value of labor completely depends on the value of goods that it produces. And so obviously there are a lot of other factors that play a role in this, which is why Twitch streamers who arguably do not do that much labor in terms of like any kind of objective assessment of work that they put in get paid a ridiculously high amount, like more than say like nurses or teachers who might put in more hours, more kinds of like physical and mental and social effort, if you can even quantify those things. Um, But because labor is defined by the goods that are produced from that, um, we have like a seemingly disproportionate amount of money per job, depending on what that job is. And so like, obviously from a capitalist perspective, labor is defined by the amount of money that it generates versus from like the Marxist critique, labor should be defined by labor, (laughs) by like some kind of objective assessment of what 
what the amount of effort should produce, which obviously that's like a very different science that hasn't been really tried out in any kind of economy successfully because labor has always been decided by the amount of goods that it produces and the value in that economy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So like, what is reproductive labor? So I'm going to give a quote. So as a scholar and an activist, Federici is one of a cohort of thinkers who have for decades critiqued the way capitalistic societies fail to acknowledge or support what she calls reproductive labor. She uses this term not to simplify, to uh, refer to having children and raising them. It indicates all we have, sorry, all the work we have to do that is sustaining, keeping ourselves and others around us well-fed, safe, clean, cared for, and thriving. It's weeding your garden, making breakfast, or helping your elderly grandmother bathe. Uh, Work that you have to do over and over again, work that seems to erase itself. It is essential work that our economy tends not to acknowledge or compensate. This disregard for reproductive labor, Federici writes, is unjust and unsuitable. So that was a quote from a New York Times article on Silvia Federici, who is an Italian uh, Marxist and feminist philosopher. And she writes a lot about how domestic labor all over the world is undervalued. And without unpaid domestic labor, the economy would fall apart um, as it is because it's it runs on basically unpaid domestic labor and, and it is a huge force that is like very much so uncompensated um, around the world. So that's a really important uh, quote and I like that she calls it reproductive labor because it shows just how much of a much of a work of labor, <laughs> like I'm, that word is losing meaning because I've said it so many times, but like just how much effort it takes to do this kind of reproductive or emotional labor where you're taking care of somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also interesting how like they, how it's considered like more jobs are like more caring or like, you know, you're watching after someone or just taking care of someone that's considered less desirable or less important. I'm like, that's just not true. Mm. Um, And like that quote was saying, it's like, it's literally the backbone of our society. If we didn't have like caretakers or people who were nurturers, like we, what would, what would we have? Nothing. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) If a lot of dead people, like a lot, (laughs) no one would be surviving. No, and I think that's like also like going back to the, one of the books I was reading about the migration of clouds. It's like even during like stressful times, like there are clear nurturers in that story who like mm-hmm. make their lives more bearable um, and helps them get through everyday life. And it's like without like part of the argument that the main character is having is that like she doesn't want to leave because she wants to help take care of her mother. Um, and it's a valid argument. Um, so I, I just kind of want to tie that back into that book. Cause I think Kaylee, you would really mm. enjoy it. Mm. Yeah, that sounds good. Cause you really like novellas. It's not too long. Um, straight to the point, but anyway, back to, back to the book that we are talking about today. Sorry. So 
walking down the corridor, it occurred to me that we're counting on you and you should rest. We're actually contradictory messages and a lump formed in my throat. <laughs> Which did she mean or what did she mean neither? Maybe it was all just meaningless conversation fluff or was this just the thing they called double bind? So what are your feelings on this, Kaylee? This quote from the book. I just... I love this because it so like communicates the tone of the book where at first it seems overly logical or it's like, oh, this character is very quiet and rational. But then like the more you think about it, the more you realize that like, no, this person is very emotionally in tune. And that's a very obvious like conclusion to ask of like, when people tell me you should rest, is it really because they want me to feel better or is it because they need me in their workplace and not in the sense of like, like a good kind of need, but like a bad kind of need where, you know, if I, if I weren't to do this labor that they expect, they would judge me and, and disdain me for it. <laughs> if I like really was sick, which is like a very human thing. And it's so common in the workplace where like, if someone's sick, and they have to take days off work. Everyone's like, oh, they're just lazy. Like you have that kind of subtle, like I have to cover their work, especially teaching. Cause like you have to cover people's classes. So it's hard not to feel like, oh, are they faking it? Whatever. Like, <laughs> even though that's not fair, like everyone gets sick and everyone needs days off, mm -hmm. but it's, it's that position that you're put in where, you know, like you have to get this amount of work done. And if it's not a well-structured environment where people can take days off if they're sick, then it's easy for like those unhealthy feelings to kind of fester and to think these like sarcastic thoughts of like, do they really want me to get better? Or are they just, you know, they want me to come back. We're like, they're counting on me. Um, mm -hmm. And I found there's this other quote towards the end of the book. I'm going to try not to, I won't read all of this because I feel like part of it gives it away, but it, it starts like this. Maybe he was just sick and tired of everything and there was nothing to tether him to the real world. The only things he'd lost out on by going AWOL were the trust of society and a roof to live under. I remembered what Miss Kudo had said about the man who I imagined was Mr. Shugai. He was having a tough time at work and kept using the words emotional labor. The kind of pressure he experienced at work was not difficult for me to imagine. Yet the high esteem he was held in by his colleagues suggested that it wasn't just sadness he got from his work, but joy also. I could understand how that made it all the more unbearable. He had carried on with his job, trying to balance those two things, but Congrejo's relegation and Isigur's subsequent return to Spain had been the final straw, breaking the delicate balance he'd been maintaining until then. So basically, they're talking about this person who was doing really well at work, but like his job required a lot of emotional labor. And his favorite soccer player on his favorite soccer team had to return to Spain and he was playing for a Japanese team. And this person, this worker like couldn't do it anymore. Cause basically he had all of his mental health, like reliant on the soccer team. Cause that was how he decompressed after work. And I think it's just really interesting. Cause like, I mean, I will say I work kind of like a stressful job right now. And a lot of my like mental strength is from like having these little routines, like getting this certain kind of coffee, like getting up at a certain time, like taking these little breaks throughout the day. And if those fell apart, like I think I would too. So like, I totally understand this, like, you know, Isagura had to go back to Spain 
I'm leaving. Like, I'm done. I can't keep going to work. <laughs> but what do you think, Ariana? It's it's actually sad. <laughs> like, this is, it's like, it, when you think about it for a long time where you just sit, it's like, wow, this is really depressing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That quote. Mm. It's like, that's, that's the thing. It's like, you want to do your best, but it's like, do they even care? But it's like, also like, you want to try because like you, we all believe that we're making an impact. Mm, yeah. But, ugh. so yes, our next section, we wanted to talk about our jobs that are sort of on the spectrum of reproductive labor or like emotional labor where we felt like um, we had to be sort of like a mothering figure or like a therapist figure in the job. And something I've noticed with like women in any job is we kind of get sucked into like a therapist role, whether we sign up for it or not, just because, you know, like that's just like sexism in the workplace and stuff like that. But um, waitressing, baristaing, I definitely felt like people told me more than I wanted to hear. And a big part is because like my job was to be sociable and friendly. And so then people felt like they could talk to me um, and teaching, especially, I feel like people like administration and, and just like other teachers expect me to take on a very like mothering role with students when there's definitely supposed to be more of a clear line with teaching and mothering. But because I teach young students and I'm a woman, I think like a lot of times I get kind of pushed into these like domestic type jobs where I'm supposed to sort of act like a mom when I'm I'm not student's mom, I'm their teacher. And so I feel like I have to set a lot of those boundaries myself and it can be really difficult sometimes. But what are some jobs that you feel like you were on the spectrum of reproductive labor, Ariana? Um, I would probably say like uh, one of my jobs at a law firm because like you were listening to people like tell their stories and sometimes it can be really sad or like they just want someone to listen so um sometimes it's like difficult not to like take those stories like personally to heart or like you know like because sometimes it's really really sad what's happening to them and like people don't deserve that type of thing Mm. um but Kaylee what would be your most exhausting most rewarding job I'm sorry um so yeah yeah the the most rewarding job I think like one of my jobs in the like education field because like even though it can be the most exhausting it's also the most rewarding and I think a lot of times with reproductive labor emotional labor it has that mix like Uh, the character talked about in the book where it's like you get so much joy as well as stress from it that it it keeps drawing you back because you feel needed so it's very easy to ignore your own emotions and your own needs I think because you feel needed and that's such a like primal human need to be a part of a community where where your efforts and, and who you are is needed in a group setting that it it's like easy to ignore any kind of exhaustion that you have because you feel like, oh, but they need me. Like, what will they do without me? And that can be really hard to let go of, even if like your body is telling you that you need a break. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think like one of the most reward, well, like, cause you were teaching, cause you were tutoring even at SVSU, like you were doing that on a regular basis. Yeah. And to me, that felt like a rewarding job without being exhausting at all, because my shifts were never more than three hours. Most of the time they were two. So it, and they did that on purpose. Like they had us all working part-time. They had us all in very short hour shit, like very short shifts because they wanted us to stay fresh. They wanted the quality of our work to be really good for the students that we helped. And and it was so smart, you know, and like the writing center, I would hope still at SVC, at least it was when I was there, is one of the few (laughs) like well-designed, well-run establishments. And it was so much better than the other like tutoring centers I've heard because like there was very thoughtful management and strategies like that, where we had constant training, we had short shifts, like, like our director really thought about like how to make it a very quality service to students. So yeah, I never really felt exhausted because I didn't have to be there for very long. And um, I felt like I had all the resources I needed to do a good job. So yeah, I really liked it there. I mean, you were a great tutor, great writing tutor. Thank you. (laughs) But what about you, Ariana? What was your most rewarding job? I mean, I don't know if I have one that's like specifically like super rewarding yet, but I would say it's rewarding when like listening at the law firm, like listening to people and like they would say like, oh, thank you for listening or like, you know, given like a sense of like hopefulness. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say that because like sometimes like when they first call, they'd be really distressed, but at the end they'd be like, take a deep breath and like, okay, well, thank you. And I'm like, okay, cool, cool, cool. I wouldn't mm-hmm. say cool on the phone, but like, I'd be like, okay, like at least we feel like we're doing something here um, and just listening to them. But um Overall, I really, I really did like this book and it is, it just proves that there is no perfect job. I think every position has pros and cons Um, and no job is easy because like, while it may not, like there's different types of labor, physical, emotional, mental. So whatever one it is, it just affects you differently. But I really like, yeah, the main character was bright, witty, clever. And in my opinion, used her time well because she knew she didn't want to renew her contracts at some of these jobs. <laughs> because it's like, sometimes like, well, I don't want to hurt their feelings. I'll just, you know, I'll just, I'll, I'll sign up again. No, she's, she was like, no, thank you, but no, thank you. And I really appreciated that. Mm. And I think, I and think also, like, I wanted to add to like, Ariana and I definitely read more of like a Marxist critique of labor into this book. But like, if that turned you off, like there's not like an overt critique of capitalism or anything like that in the book. I think it just kind of shows like how the monotony of modern life can really get to people too. Um, So it's not even necessarily that political, but I think it, it it was just such a well-written book because it's very like mysterious and eerie in a lot of ways, but it's more mysterious because it's so like close to real life. Like it wasn't um, supernatural or anything. It 
was very, very realistic. And I think that really added to like the mystery of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just, I I recommend y'all read this book. It was just so good. And maybe you guys can take a year on it too. If you, (laughs) if you guys, if you guys want to, I mean, but also that's another thing. It's like, we just felt like we were being rushed and, um, like I think this one thing I felt like I felt um I felt rushed not from Kaylee but from my own self it's like well I should be finishing this book right now like we've been reading it for so long it's like Mm. why are we in a rush yeah if you enjoy something take your time with it for sure yes but we're gonna have to wrap up this podcast but we are gonna be a little more consistent now um and we're going to be getting more on a schedule because it's like we've been talking about ideas and we have actually had outlines but it's just like the timing because there is a 13 hour difference um in our there's time a big zone. time difference yeah so that's, that's that's literally <laughs> the problem so um thank you for listening and we hope you enjoyed the podcast signing off